Thank you for joining us in our study of the book of Genesis, entitled The Origin of Reason. Now, we have mentioned that the gospel explains that we were created in God's image, not in the image of a monkey or an animal. We were created in the image of God. If we continue to read and as we study, we will see that man fell in rebellion. And now we want to rule over everything and not be ruled. God came to redeem us and to restore us to a right relationship and a right understanding of himself. So we have the word of God that tells us how God, the creator, came, loved, and sacrificed to save. We have the ability now to know these things. We have a capacity that has been given to us by God himself to know and understand these things. One part of this capacity is language. We can speak and be spoken to. And God has spoken to us in these last days by his word, which is eternal. And this is what we have. We have now enough to know God. And then God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. But sin has encroached into every aspect of our lives, resulting in a cry for more freedom to be what I want to be. Evil is good and good is evil. And this is not how men were intended to act. This is not an example of the likeness of God that we read about in Genesis 1. Something has been lost. And we've been trying for several millennia now to find it. We've tried conservatism, liberalism, progressive ideology, tribal leadership, dictatorship, tyrants, presidents, queens, and we are no more stable now than we were centuries ago. Politicians, counselors, and philosophers try to create new ways and new means, hoping to find a way back home, hoping to find a way to heaven, a place where we can all find peace and happiness. But somehow, wickedness tags along like a dirty black dog, and evil paints all of our efforts. Riots and cries of injustice pour in the street, primarily because one candidate lost an election. Voices filled with bitterness and accusations shout out. Lies and remonstrations are heard on the radio, the television, the read in print. The truth has vacated the offices of leadership. There is their truth, and then, of course, there is our truth, and then there is God's truth. Both left and right and center will not recognize that this is the one fact they've ignored. Everybody will tip their hat to God. But as far as obedience and practicing and knowing and doing, no, this is ignored. God has been redefined. There are some attempts to provide beauty, but the lust and hate fill the screen. Men and women proclaim from their podiums and on their own award shows high and lofty moral values then they deny them by their evil and deviant behavior. This is not how men were intended to act. No, my friend, this is not the likeness of God on display. How do we find that which we've lost? What we see in the Garden of Genesis has been lost. The God that is presented is not seen or known. He's not hiding himself, I can assure you that. Men have joined together to hide and degrade the glory of God how? Well, we can say sin. And yes, indeed, it is sin that hides the glory of God. But how? Ultimately, the thing about the English language is we can say that sin has I for the center letter, right? 
selfishness, self-centered living. We have billionaires who spend millions upon millions of dollars in order to take a trip into space while the streets are being overrun by homeless individuals with tremendous needs of housing and food. Then we have churches that preach, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Tell everybody. But nobody moves. Selfishness is not found only among the wealthy. The greatest example I have seen of someone truly thinking of others was found in a television documentary I saw months ago. A homeless man sleeping on the street was given $100 by a college student who was doing a project for a psychology class at his university. He then followed the man, sure that he would make a beeline down to the liquor store. He had his cameras rolling, and to his surprise, this fellow went to the grocery store and bought food, $100 worth of food. He then went about town distributing it to other homeless people. They ate their fill, and he smiled. Now, some people watch this thing on YouTube, and they say he smiled the smile of an idiot. He stood there with empty hands and nothing to eat himself. Well, what do you think? This is where we mention the gospel. The gospel alone offers God's means of restoring that which had been lost. It is the grace of God alone that has the ability to counter the fall of Adam. It is Christ in the man that creates the new heart. Little by little, one step at a time. Trials, experience, loss, sorrow, sadness, hurts, pains, disappointments mixed with moments of exquisite glory, thrilling times of knowing the grace of a loving God in an intentionally personal way. All these things serve to change us, to mold us, and to make us into who once walked quietly in the garden in direct communication with the God of all creation. It serves to make us individuals in true fellowship with God and one another. If you've been born of God, you have the ability to be godlike in Christ. You have the capacity to give all, even your last dime, and smile. You have that capacity. You can then raise your hands to God in praise and thanksgiving and say, Hallelujah, God be praised. Well, what if I give all my money away? And I'm not saying, I am not saying to do that. But you might ask, well, if I give all my money away, what will I have to eat? Well, if you look at what Matthew wrote, there was a little boy that gave all he had to eat. And he was fed from 12 baskets filled with bread and fish. God will take care of you. He will. Do you believe that? In Christ, each day as we submit to and obey him, we are becoming what God intended us to be. We can look into the events here in Genesis and see what God intended. We can see what God created. We can see what he can do. God created man on the sixth day, and he was perfect, untouched by sin, and unaffected by evil we now know to be ever-present. God saw all that he had made and said, Behold, it was very good. This was the sixth day, and he was pleased. In the last day when we stand before God, we who are in Christ will hear this expressed once more. You will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, whenever you find something repeated in scripture, it means pay close attention. This is important. This is something God wants you to truly understand. You may recall that Isaiah, and I've mentioned this before, Isaiah refers to God as being holy, holy, holy. 
Now, guess what idea Isaiah is trying to convey and what the important aspect he is trying to teach us concerning God's character. That God is very, very, very holy. Do you get the idea? Here in the first three verses of Genesis chapter 2, the seventh day is mentioned three times. The seventh day is unique, and there is something to note here as well. In verse 3, we find the first mentioning of the word holy in all of Scripture. In English, we read the word as sanctified. It means that this day, this seventh day, is to be considered separate from days 1 through 6. Yet the idea of holy being connected to this, this day is to be elevated or exalted above the other days. Why? This is to be a holy day, separated unto God. God made this day holy and declared it to be so. So there is a specific purpose and intention given to this particular day. It is doubly established as a special day. No other day, days one through six, were created or established in such a way. It was on this day that everything was deemed completed. This is mentioned in verse 1. Then again in verse 2. And we see God rested on that day. Finally, we see God blessed that particular day. This is the seventh day. This is clear and concise. There's no ambiguity. There's no confusion. This is the day God himself sanctified. He set apart to be a special day. On this day, the work of creation was completed, and on this day, God rested. So it's not a day like any other day. It's what many refer to as the Sabbath day, the day of rest. Creation was complete. It was done. This is where you sit back, you scratch your head, and you think. All of creation was, was done, was complete? Six days? The entire universe was established? As a matter of fact, all universes were established. All galaxies, stars, planets, the sun, and the moon, they were all done, complete. And then there was man. If you look closely, you'll notice that at the end of verse 1, 2, and 3, you find a period. This ends the thought and idea. Creation was finished, period. This dispels the idea of theistic evolution or a general evolution. Things were not set in motion during this time, things which allowed for the formation and establishment of other things, which is basically evolution. The text found in Genesis does not allow for that idea. Though man tries as hard as he can to promote this idea, it simply is not allowed in Scripture. It might be allowed in the imagination and the mind of corrupt man, but in God's economy, this is not allowed. Scripture confirms the idea that God created the heavens and the earth and all of their host. This is God's initial revelation to us. The first thing we see is what he has done. He gives us a historical record of creation. Why? Because it's fundamental to everything else. It's fundamental to the gospel, to theology, and to all of history as we know it. Creation lays the foundation for all truth and all religion. It explains our origins and thus our obligations. Without a proper understanding of these fundamental things, you cannot understand the balance of Scripture. And with unanswered questions, you too will begin to challenge the inerrancy of God's Word 
and undermine his authority. And by doing this, man strikes a hard blow against the integrity of God. It does not harm God, but it's terrible for man. But this is man's quest. This is mankind's fallen nature being voiced out in a declarative manner. God, by right of creation, is the sovereign over all things. By right of creation, we are obligated first and primarily to God. By right of creation, we should be grateful to the hand that made us and not rebel and not curse him. But we did and we still do. The cursing might not be vocal. It's just a walk away and ignore. But the story's just started and we're starting to learn something more about the origin of reason. I want to thank you very much for participating in this study, and I'm glad that you've joined us, and I hope that you continue as we continue through the study of Genesis to understand the origin of reason. Thank you very much.